0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified.
1: Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's word. Acts chapter 14. The uh, Barnabas and uh, Paul have just left Iconium and they've been kicked out of there. Uh, And so they move on doesn't seem to discourage them, though, because if you look at the end of verse uh, or chapter 13, even after being kicked out, it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, they continued on, uh, trusting the Lord to use them in Iconium. And so we pick up there in chapter 14. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of uh, Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And, there, and they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never, never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, "'Stand up straight on your feet.' And he leaped and walked. Just uh, think about that for a moment. It kind of just quickly goes over that. But uh, Paul, through the work of the Spirit, uh, causes this man to, to be healed, and he leaps and walks. Verse 11 Now, when the people saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying uh, in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes, worship them as it were. Verse 14, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from the, these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who his bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. In that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with, prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they, had, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples."
0: Genesis 29, please. If you haven't been tracking along with our series, we look to the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, in which God records for us through the pen of Moses, the prophet and the leader of Israel. In the 1400s B.C. time frame, he recorded these words from a much more ancient time and uh, told us about the creation of the world, the uh, beginnings of humanity, the judgment of God against sin. He taught us about the origin of the the Hebrew people through Abraham and um, then from there began to focus in on Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, the first patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And the reason he's zeroing in on them is because the Bible is preparing us to understand the way of God's salvation through Jesus Christ, Jesus being the uh, ultimate Jewish person, if you will, the Son of God who came into the world and through the Jewish nation, God uh, ordained him to come to be the fulfillment of Old Testament uh, prophecy and to sit upon the throne of David as king. Uh, to uh, take uh, the place, uh, as it were, of Moses, the uh, king priest in the nation, and also to be a prophet as well like Moses was uh, to his people back those many years ago. Jesus uh, came through Mary uh, and uh, was uh, you know, brought up in the Jewish culture context under the Jewish law. And so the Bible is trying to fashion our understanding of that culture and history uh, so that we can understand how Jesus came into the world and, and what he has done. kind of lays the foundation for everything for us in uh, the Old and New Testament. So that's why we're studying Genesis, to just get another flavor for that. And uh, we've come to uh, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And uh, Jacob, the third in line, has had to leave home because his uh, twin brother wants to off him. Uh, get rid of him, angry at him for some deception that Jacob pulled uh, earlier on uh, in uh, chapter 27. And uh, then so he uh, has to leave chapter 28. We looked at that at the beginning of his journey last time. Well, there are four more chapters in which he'll be gone uh, from uh, home. And uh, we're reading about those just now in chapters 29 and 30. And what basically happens during those years is that he goes to meet his uncle, Laban, and to uh, find a wife, not only to to save his life from his brother, to let his anger cool down, his brother's anger, but also to go and find a wife uh, from among his uh, relatives, more distant relatives, but those who uh, would follow the God of Abraham and not the uh, the pagan gods of the surrounding nations. So we read in chapter 29, So Jacob went on his journey. Remember, after he'd made that oath to God, that promise, if you'll go with me, I will give you a tenth of all that I have when I come back, and um, if you prosper me along the way. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, and he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth, Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative, that he was Rebekah's son, so she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone, are, sorry, are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. I'll stop just there for one moment. Jacob found Laban quite easily uh, by going to the watering hole, the uh, place like at the office, I guess, that you go to talk, right? <laughs> to, uh, not exactly, but sort of uh, interesting uh, that uh, Abraham's servant did the same thing. Remember that? Uh, earlier on when they were looking for a wife for Isaac. Somehow Jacob knew um, that Rachel, who came on the scene, was the one for him already, I think. Um, Maybe love at first sight or something. But the narrative is quite clipped, and it seems strange to us perhaps that he would kiss her so soon. However, uh, notice that Laban came uh, just a few moments later in uh, the section that we read, and he also... Uh, says in verse 13, Laban heard the report. He ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into the house. So this may have been more of a cultural practice than a romantic gesture by the man to the young woman uh, because uh, the men would also give one another a kiss in that Middle Eastern culture. So uh, they receive and exchange greetings. And uh, the text goes on to tell us in uh verse 15, that they made an agreement with, uh, between themselves. So Laban said to Jacob, "'Because you are my relative, "'should you therefore serve me for nothing? "'Tell me, what should your wages be?' "'Now Laban had two daughters. "'The name of the older was Leah, "'and the name of the younger was Rachel. "'Leah's eyes were delicate, "'but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. "'Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, "'I will serve you seven years for Rachel, "'your younger daughter.' And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. I'll just pause there for a moment. Um, I didn't comment on all the details of this text, but... It's evident that Jacob has uh, his eye on the younger daughter, Rachel. Uh, Leah was to him not as attractive. The text of Scripture is a little bit vague here as to why that is. It talks about her eyes being delicate. Um, That could be that uh, she was kind of homely uh, in appearance or that her eyes were abnormal like for that culture uh, that so made her not look as attractive. We don't know the details but we can understand at least that much of it. So um, we go on in the reading in verse 23, it came to pass in the evening that he took, this is Laban, Laban took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold it was Leah. And he said to Laban, that is Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife. Also, and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Now, you probably read that and you say, what in the world is going on here? That is shocking to say the least. Yes, it is. Um, They've made an agreement. Jacob agreed with Laban to serve seven years uh, as payment, if you will, or dowry perhaps for the younger daughter Rachel because he found her very attractive. Remember, he is 77 years old at this time. So, quite uh, old for our perspective, but they lived much longer period of time. Back in those days, he lived well into his 100s, his dad to 180. So he was relatively um, younger, as, as we would think of it. Excuse me. <clears throat> so um, seven years later, after the service, which went very quickly because of his love that he had for uh, Rachel. Um, and as you know, time does, it flies, right? And when you're older, it flies as well. And when you're in love, it flies even faster. And so um, he uh, was looking forward to this marriage, this wedding celebration. But the sin of mankind is once again here on display because Laban cheated Jacob by giving him his older daughter, Leah, who was not as desirable to Jacob. Uh, How did this happen? Well, I can only speculate. It must have been dark. He must have been drunk. Uh, Who knows what the circumstances were without, uh, you know, kind of modern conveniences of electric lighting and all that sort of thing. Who knows? Um, how this all uh, worked out, but he didn't notice that the wife was the wrong girl. Uh, anyway, he found out, obviously, in the morning and complained uh, to Laban, who explained that according to their custom, the older daughter had to be married first. Probably could have said something, you know, like in the last seven years about that little detail, uh, or found somebody else to marry the older daughter. But uh, the... the uh, the circumstance turned out that he said, okay, uh, you'll be able to marry Rachel, but you know, give, give a week of honeymoon to this first wife, and then you can have the second wife. So he didn't have to wait seven more years to have the girl he wanted to marry, but just that week, and then he worked for seven more years. Why he agreed to do that, not sure, uh, but he, uh, he did. And um, perhaps the circumstances there were favorable and uh, it was a good place for him to live and work. So uh, he was allowed to marry Rachel also. So now he had two wives. He had to serve another seven years. Now, I speculate that the reason that Laban did this was not so much cultural as it was financial because, uh, as we'll see later on, Jacob was being a good manager of his goods, of his animals, and um, he liked that, so he wanted to keep him around longer. What a bait and switch. Jacob was very gracious to roll with this deception, uh, even in the critical matter of marriage like this. He said in in 31, uh, 7 and 41, that Laban had changed his wages ten times and this was probably the biggest of them, the worst of them. Perhaps that was some hyperbole, whether it was 10 or or whatever the exact number was doesn't really matter. I'm sure you've said something like that. Look, he's changed it 10 times, and it was only 7 times or something, but the, the point is made that it was constantly changing. The point is here, Laban was not an honest fellow, but this event did serve one good purpose in the life of Jacob, And if you've tracked along with our series so far, you remember that one of the big problems that Jacob had with his mother was deception. He deceived his father instead of going about receiving the birthright and blessing that go together in the right way, he went about it in a very backwards and deceptive way and deceived his father, Isaac. And that was very displeasing to Isaac and displeasing to God. And so... Uh, sometimes God permits such a turn of events later in life because it is an effective teaching tool okay don 't have in your mind, as people do today, that this is you know karma coming back to bite him that 's not a thing okay that 's what people talk about it 's like good luck, bad luck that 's not biblical that is pagan. Theology, at uh, in its kind of most kind of practical form, as it's getting down in, into the culture, and everybody talks about karma and instant karma and all of that sort of thing. That stuff is not how life is. God designs the events and the circumstances in life, and He permitted this series of circumstances, as weird as they were, in order to help Jacob see that a life of deception doesn't pay. And it's not a good thing. So remember that in, in your life. Uh, it's, it's this principle from the scriptures. What a man sows, he will also reap. God sometimes sees to that. Now, God sometimes spares us from reaping what we've sown, doesn't he? I mean, ultimately, we don't, if we're Christians, we don't reap what we sowed in sin because Jesus reaped what we sowed. You understand what I mean? Jesus took the penalty of our sins in his body when he died on the cross so that we could have eternal life. So it's true that some of the consequences of sin we avoid, namely the worst ones, eternal death, eternal separation from God, eternal punishment, eternal misery, eternal regret. But... There are times in life over the course of our years that God does teach us lessons uh, and we do reap what we have sown. And that's a general spiritual principle. Now, in the a lengthy segment of text here, the scripture is going to tell us now that Jacob is married, uh, what happens in, and he starts to have a family. And let's just read through this starting in chapter 29 and verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So the Lord saw favoritism in Jacob towards Rachel. Now, do you remember favoritism from our previous studies? Yeah, so Isaac showed favoritism for Esau, and Jacob's mother showed favoritism. Rebecca showed favoritism for Jacob, and that, that's how that whole thing came about in chapter 27. And, and the result of this long journey away from home. But God looked at this situation and, and, and saw that Leah was unloved. Now, what do you have? You have polygamy going on here. You have one man married to two women. And that is so foreign to our thinking, as it should be. And you would say, well, how can God bless that mess? Uh, or how can God be in it? Or how can God be concerned about it? Can't just, doesn't he just leave them off? Somehow, that's not how God handled it. We might have a difficult time satisfactorily explaining that, but in the Scriptures, there is this notion that if a man takes two wives, he's got to treat them both like wives, okay? In other words, there has to be an equality, and impartiality to that arrangement. So once the arrangement was established, however, Bad it was, the husband was required to love both of his wives equally, whether he had a preference or not. So God counterbalanced his favoritism by, uh, toward Rachel by giving Leah a higher level of fertility, at least initially in their marriage. Leah ultimately bore seven children for Jacob. Uh, and I'll start reading in verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben for the Lord surely has looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. And the rest of the text goes on. I don't know that I'll have time to read all of it, but uh, Rachel will see now that she has no children, and she envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. So you see the, the measure of, of a marriage relationship, the measure in that culture was children. If you didn't have children, bad deal, um, you know the idea that okay, now I've had a child, a second child, a third child, now my husband will really love me it's it's kind of messed up, but um, that's how they saw it, so we're just reporting what the uh, situation was and the cultural feelings about that. We see on the in the notes uh, there the list of all the children i've listed the um, the ones for uh, Leah. see you have a numbering issue there i 'll fix that. Um, these automatic numbered lists just kill me, so uh, forgive me for that. But you have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. You have uh, Bilhah then bearing Dan and Naphtali, and that's what happened in chapter 30 because Rachel couldn't have kids, so what'd she do? She said, Here's my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I may also have children by her. So kind of a surrogate situation, and uh, Jacob heeded that. And then the same thing happens with Leah, uh, Leah gives her maid Zilpah over to him, and he uh, and they have children, uh, and that's listed there. She has Dan and Naphtali with, uh, or with Bilhah, and Zilpah has Gad and Asher. Then Leah bears again Issachar, Zebulun, and Dinah, one daughter. And then Rachel finally has Joseph, and later on we'll have Benjamin, not recorded here. So twelve sons, one daughter, perhaps other daughters, although we're not sure. About that, based on the level of detail that we don't have in the text of Scripture, so family—well, family family drama here, I guess—is how I could categorize this. One interesting study is to compare the lists of uh, tribes of the the children of Israel throughout the Bible. This is the first. If you go to Revelation chapter seven, you find um, one of the last, if not the last. And uh, there you see Manasseh in the list. Uh, There, uh, Manasseh, remember, is one of Joseph's sons. Uh, You don't see Ephraim. Uh, Apparently, he drops off. And uh, Dan is gone in that list. And you would have to understand the history of Israel to see the kinds of ups and downs, the Assyrian captivity and uh, throughout the succeeding centuries and how Some of the tribes fell into total idolatry, like Dan, like Ephraim, and maybe just left off the list because they've kind of been lost to history after that captivity and after they walked away from God. So um, I'll let you look at those uh, details. Reuben also, Reuben was a a bad character later on in his life, and um, God downplays him, kind of includes him with Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. So <clears throat> when Rachel expressed anger at her husband for not giving her children, Jacob was correct in verse number two to reply this way. His anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And that's when they hatched this plan just like Abraham and Sarah did before, Do you remember? Um, and uh, Obviously, it seems to me the problem of bearing children is not lie with um, Jacob. He's been having children with Leah, so there must be some problem with Rachel. Uh, And that was, you know, God opened the womb of Leah especially to have children to be very fertile, but not not the case for Rachel until later. Grandfather Abraham and Sarah had hatched a similar plan with Hagar, and the result was Ishmael. this is a little different situation because, see, God had promised through Abraham a seed, Isaac, and then through that seed all the families of the earth would be blessed. But now that we come down to Jacob, God is going to begin to multiply that seed. And so we're going from one to 12. And that was his plan here to begin to spread out the uh, people and multiply them through, through Jacob. So now Jacob has... Two concubines and two wives, which basically amounts to four wives. Let's just put it out there simply like that. What a mess. Um, You'll read later on uh, just a couple of things. And what am I doing here? Basically, I'm just trying to educate you now about when you read this, what does this all mean? Um, You know, we don't want to have to get into all the drama of it, but... um, She's, uh, the, the text says in chapter 30, verse 14, now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought him to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah said, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. These, uh, so Reuben is, is an innocent, apparently, like totally innocent in all this because he's about five years old. He's just found this special plant and he brings it to his mother. And he says, hey, look what I found. And she's like, aha, that's supposed to be an aphrodisiac. And so she's going to use it to seduce her husband and, uh, and have him stay with her that night, which does occur. And uh, she subsequently has two more sons and the daughter, which we already mentioned. So what about all this? Well, the family drama was real. The hurt for Leah was real, you know. When you feel like you're unloved in a relationship, when there's supposed to be kind of equal equality, as it were. Um, but all of, you know, the competition between them was 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 fierce. It was real. Also, who can have more kids? Who's better for the husband? All that sort of stuff. All of that, however, is like an unnecessary soap opera. Okay, unnecessary. Because if Jacob had been committed to a one-man-plus-one-woman marriage arrangement, there would have been no occasion for the drama. He could have had 12 boys and one girl with one wife. It has happened before. Uh, and, And this is a reminder to us that we just need to do things God's way, not with all these machinations and all these special cases and all this Well, it didn't work out that way, so let's pragmatically try this way and all that sort of stuff. Just live life how God has taught you to live. Now, in Western cultures, the soap opera might not involve polygamy, although in some areas in our country it does, and increasingly so, involves polygamy. But it most certainly, the drama today in families involves unfaithfulness, Adultery, lack of self-control, anger, lack of forgiveness, bitterness, lack of commitment, and ultimately, plain old, pride. Pride. Those things cause all of the unnecessary drama in our families. Okay, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Your desires for pleasure that war in your members you show me a conflict in a family and I'll show you misplaced desires and pride on the authority of Scripture every single time. And all of this results in a next generation who learns the bad habits of their parents and repeats those kinds of errors all over again. Let's just do things God's way. How about it? Sounds better, doesn't it? Now, Jacob tries to leave starting in verse 25 of chapter 30. <clears throat> we'll just spend a couple of more moments here before we close. Um, so Rachel has Joseph. Eleven sons are now born. Jacob says to Laban, he's, he's been there 14 years, seven and seven. Uh, he says, send me away that I may go to my place in my country. Give me my wives and my children from who I, for whom I have served and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. You know, he's been a faithful worker. He's helped Laban, helped him stay wealthy. And uh, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. He said, name me your wages and I will give it. So now they make this, this arrangement that's a little hard for us to understand, I suppose. Um, again, I think um, Jacob or Laban is, is looking out for his financial interests here. He's saying, look, I've done well 14 years. I'd like you to stay longer, and uh, and you can help. Uh, so Laban doesn't want him to go. And, and indeed, indeed, that was the case. Why was it the case that Laban was blessed? Because God had promised the Abrahamic covenant blessings to Isaac and then to Jacob. So God promised, I will bless you, right? You with me? Now when he's with somebody else, God's blessing rubs off on those people around him, doesn't it? So sometimes in life, there are, there's something called collateral damage. You know what I mean. But other times in life, there is something that we might call collateral blessing, that you receive blessing accidentally by being associated with somebody that God has blessed. We see that in 1 Corinthians when God says uh, through Paul that parents who are Christians, or one parent who's a Christian, even if the other parent isn't, ex, uh, kind of uh, give or overflow some blessing into the lives of their children so their children are sanctified, he says. That doesn't mean they're saved. It doesn't mean they become automatic Christians or something like that because you don't inherit Christianity, Right? You only can be born yourself of God by trusting in Him. Call in the name of the Lord, and you will be saved directly. You don't do it through you know inheritance through your parents. But um, the, the, uh, the kids were blessed because, in that situation, because of Christian parents in the home. And it perhaps is the case that when those children leave, if they haven't embraced. This, the, the, this, the faith of their parents that now they come out from underneath the umbrella of that overflowing blessing and then what happens to them? Things don't go so well many times. So um, I wonder if you look at yourself and say, am I the kind of person who because of my walk with the Lord offer collateral blessing to those around me? Do people experience the blessing of God just because they're in my, how do you say, environment, in my home, in my life? Do I pass that on to them? Do they get some of that even accidentally so? You know, Laban, a very rude, uh, dishonest kind of fellow, yet receiving the blessing of God through God's man, Jacob. So, Okay, they're going to make another arrangement. Another six years is going to go by. And during that time, Jacob suggests a plan whereby Laban can compensate him. He says, okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to separate all of the spotted and speckled sheep and put those off to the side. I'll manage the rest. When they're spotted and speckled that come out of that group, they'll be mine and the solid colored ones will be yours. Okay. Now, I'm no expert in animal husbandry. And that's going to come to a point just now that I want to share with you because we look at this and we say, man, this is kind of weird. A, we don't understand it. B, we see uh, that he, he makes this agreement and then he does this strange thing where he uh, um, took the rods of green poplar and of almond and chestnut trees. I didn't mention the poplar in my, in my notes, but almond and chestnut I did peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived. What what is talking about here is that he has made an arrangement by which they, during the time in which the animals are in season or in heat, that he encourages their frisky behavior with one another so that they can have more sheep or goats, and you look at that and you say, well, what is this about these rods and peeling the bark off of here and all that? It sounds superstitious or or whatever. I would encourage you and me to be humble because uh, let me just ask, how many of you have tended sheep, herded sheep, bred sheep, know anything about sheep, okay? Pretty much nobody. For, for 70 years, this man has probably dealt with sheep. He knows what he's doing. So I wouldn't be so quick to say that he's just being superstitious. Maybe he knows of something in these trees, some chemical, some aroma, something that encourages that activity let 's just leave it at that and leave the results to God, okay He gives us the results he 's very fruitful, and he he uh, arranges things so that his flocks become bigger and he doesn 't do so much with laban 's flocks and This is going to come out uh, turn out to be a problem in chapter thirty one but in in any case he 's becoming more and more wealthy over these six years and uh, and by the way, notice that his wealth is counted in not in terms of dollars, but in terms of what? Look at verse uh, 43. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. He didn't have a large bank account, 401k, IRA. Uh, he had animals. Animals were the measure of wealth. Okay? Not gold, silver, diamonds, all that sort of thing. Very interesting to me that that was the measure of wealth At that time. And notice also one more thing that even though God had promised Jacob prosperity, he had promised him blessing, did that mean that Jacob could just sit on his hands? No, it did not. I want you to bake this principle into your mind the blessing of God does not preclude hard work. The blessing of God does not preclude hard work. In fact, God used the hard work in connection with the blessing that he promised to give him the results that he had. Abrahamic covenant was not an entitlement program, okay? And neither are God's promises to you, some kind of cheap entitlement. Of course, we know salvation is a gift, but the saved life, the living as a Christian, is not a walk in the park. You know what I mean? It's a struggle against sin, and you have to put everything into it. The Christian life is not a life of handouts. It's not a life of zero accountability. It's not a walk in the park. It is a life in which real accountability and real effort and real investment has to occur. Now, when you invest with God as your partner, you get good returns. If you just invest yourself and apart from God, guess what? It's going to turn out terribly because you entered into the world with nothing. You leave the world with nothing except that treasure which you have laid up where? In heaven, not on earth. So let's persevere in our work and our faith for the Lord, recognizing that salvation is a precious gift, but... Those promises of God do come with responsibilities attached. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness this morning. Uh, May your word uh, be blessed uh, in our hearts. Work in us. Change us, Lord, if there's any with uh, concerns or issues, Lord, help them to make those known. Help us to help them with them. In Jesus' name, amen.